Welcome to the Sacred Seven Podcast, a place where we explore self-identity, relational spirituality, and emotional intelligence. This is a place where we transform culture through story and through interaction. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you feel the value of remembering the process of your own self-identity and who you really are. Uh, I am Andrew Ecker, my mother Kathy Lindsay, my father Dale Ecker, uh, my mother's mother Elva Gallegos, uh, Apache woman from New Mexico, my father's mother Evelyn Beatty, Irish woman from Pennsylvania, my mother's father Leroy Lindsay, Apache man from Arkansas, my father's father Wayne Ecker, German Algonquin from Pennsylvania. I was incarnated into this body in the land of the Multnomah in Portland, Oregon, although I reside here in the land of the Akmal Atom in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm grateful to be here, so grateful. My heart is just exploding right now because I have a man here in the uh, Sacred Seven space that I am very uh, close to energetically and spiritually. And it feels like we have a, an intersection of spirits and as a soul brother you know i feel like he's uh he's definitely on my path and has been on my radar and in my field for a few years now and have been privileged to be honored to be a part of his community which is the international breathwork foundation and um amazing group of people that uh, spread the power of breath and he's also uh, an explorer of rhythm and vibrational programming and exploring the numbers that uh, help us to identify how to connect with one another. Uh, so being a drummer and a person that practices wellness and practices uh, spreading love around the world. You know, I'm just so grateful to be here with my good friend, my good brother, Rabia. And uh, I want to explore today just some ideas of uh, how we can connect deeper to the purpose that we feel we're all being called into in this moment in our collective history. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself here, uh, however you feel comfortable. Wonderful. Anna ismi Rabia Hayek, immi Bahji Hayek, abui Jirius Hayek. Jirius Hayek, abu immu Jamil, u Kamli Hayek, u Bahji Hayek, Bahji Khuri, imha u abuha, wardi Khuri, u Hanna Khuri. My name is Rabia Hayek. I'm a Palestinian man, galactic heart, and here meeting with you. Uh, I just expressed in Arabic in my native tongue that my father is Jerry's Hayek, my mother is Beji Hayek. And using the matrix that uh, Andrew always introduces himself, I went with it as well in honoring my father's parents, uh, Jamil and Kamli Hayek, and my mother, Beji Khouri's parents, Wardi and uh, Hanna Khouri. So I meet you in this moment and in this breath. <laughs> in celebration, you may hear a few of those laughs or a laugh cry or two. It's always a emotionally fluid place here to meet. Uh, I always feel a, a not only a safe place, but such an expansive one when we get into these conversations. So thanks for creating a space for this today, brother. Woo. So nice to, to just ground in. It's been, you know, since uh, I think we were in Joshua Tree. Uh, during yeah. the International Breathwork uh, Conference and yes. the GIC, I guess it was yeah, called. Yeah, the, the JIC, the JIC, JIC Global JIC, that's Inspiration it. Conference. Yeah. They go for the soft G when they pronounce it, that's right. But yeah, the JIC 2019 and Joshua Tree, what a wonderful time. And wow, we didn't know what was coming this year, did we? <laughs> mm. <laughs> the global challenge and the evolutionary trigger. Mm. evolutionary trigger that's what I, I definitely feel that as i've seen intensity you know we've seen a fire lit under the evolution of humanity and it's a must the things that must come out in the light the things that want to show themselves that were in the dark that were not seen but were definitely functioning uh to not be our best and so if evolution is us moving towards a greater glory and us being our best and our betterment at hand, 
man, <laughs> the fire got lit. Here we are. It, it looks like so much, but you know, you look at the adversity of many uh, humans that came before us during times of the plague, where there was a something challenging many, many, many people, and they had to slowly learn what they were going to do. And I think a lot of confusion is upon us because figuring this out is a figuring it out while it's happening, as opposed to a lot of things where we go, okay, we know how to land a plane. This is how you do it. But we don't quite know how to maneuver this one. And so it's causing people to listen to the unknown. And mm. you and I are very familiar with that. We come from lineages of people that are, are good with that. We pray to the the ineffable, the unknown. We connect to spirit, the unseen. And we're okay with that. But a lot of people oh, were not having that as part of their daily life. And they were all of a sudden a little scared of the, unknow the unknowable or the unknown. And here we are in the present, breathing with it and figuring it out. And yet, you know, uh, one of the things I'm struggling with as a breath worker and someone that works with the breath in as my work and in elevating people's lives to see a society of people that are being asked almost asked to be scared of the air is mm. difficult it is it's um definitely a new relationship that we're navigating with this element uh of the air and also you know this kind of awakening that has happened with the restrictions of travel at the beginning and how clean the air air got and how clean the waters got and there was just this revival of hope in a lot of us that are tuned into the earth and tuned into this uh beautiful mother there was this idea of oh now we get to play you know and uh i think at the beginning of it it was like so beautiful and there was so much opening in our hearts in a way because it was down to you know okay let's reevaluate let's kind of calibrate ourselves and now with the longevity of the experience which you know now we're coming into you know seven what is it six seven months now and uh yeah. it's definitely a, a different relationship uh with the pandemic than at the beginning and i feel like also that learning phase right where we kind of came into this like okay you know what's an essential worker for instance you know what does it mean to yeah. be essential uh to this contemporary culture and how do the rest of us that are really um you know uh, like myself you know i use rhythm to to help people transform their lives and their communities primarily that's what most people know me for um i also work in inside uh you know self-identity relational spirituality emotional intelligence all of them go back to my greatest teacher which is the drum in a certain way and you know i we were the first people to really uh stop working uh, because they closed the hospitals. And, you know, mm. as you know, the majority of my work is, uh, and mine and Monica's work has been in psychiatric lockdowns, memory care, skilled nursing, you know, uh, places of real captivity. Where we brought the breath in as well, and some of the other forms of wellness that we practice inside of that hour experience of, of making music. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a pivot for us in many ways. And it has been, uh, you know, a certain level of beauty in it. Also, a, a lot of, you know, what you were talking about with the fear and really leaning into my relationship with Source. I mean, at the beginning of the thing, I was just like doing what I do when I'm feeling, you know, the foundation of my reality shift. I pray, you know, and yeah. I, uh, I went into doing daily prayers for about three months. Uh, where I was meeting with my Facebook community and my online community and just grounding into, into some really deep prayer. And really for me, right, the lesson that comes forward in prayer is the prayer of gratitude. You know, thank you, Creator, for a life of, of good health. Thank you, Creator, for a life of emotional abundance, financial abundance. And that is um, sometimes challenging, right, when your, your work goes from five circles a day to uh, zero, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's been it's been really amazing and a, an amazing transformational journey uh, so far. There have been some really low points I can I can attest to where, you know, that loneliness has come in and the well, who am I now? You know that I'm not facilitating every day. Who am I now that I'm not doing corporate, you know, team building and, you know, festivals and opening ceremonies? And, you know, what is uh, who is this person? You know, what is my value? And then really relying back on the sacred seven, you know, this idea of what you did in your introduction, what I did in my introduction, that I'm a child, you know, that I'm a grandchild, that I, I mean something in this world, regardless of my behavior. 
And that's been, yes. you know, uh, a lesson that the ancestors give us and something that is really valid to explore. And, you know, as we rest into that, what comes forward for me is this idea of, you know, we've never got into like how, how you got to where you're at, you know, like, what was the journey for you? How, what was the beginning of your, you know, for what people, some people call a spiritual awakening, what others call a psychosis, you know, uh, <laughs> <there's> de- <laughs> Sure. Yeah, you know, there's definitely some moments there that I'd love to explore because, you know, where you're at now is not where you've been, right? Uh, you know, Absolutely. And, and where you're going is not where you're where you're at. So, you know, take us back to the beginning when when you first started coming into your your breathwork practice or maybe even before that, you know, what was the what was it? Was it a, a an eye opening experience of beauty? Was it a crisis? Was you know what was the uh, the emotions behind the transformation in your life? I'd love to explore that a little bit. Yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you, being a Palestinian man living in the United States and growing up since I was two in the U.S., but learning Arabic and English at the same time, and going back and visiting, staying very close to my culture, knowing my grandparents. You know, and my parents making sure that, you know, staying, uh, speaking the language even so that I could weave back into the culture in a very dear way allowed me to really weave uh, the unconditional love that was passed down through, in my case, Christian Arabs, uh, Christians in the Galilee area declare that they're representing unconditional love. Uh, that was passed down to them. And I find that passing down a very beautiful one. To come here in the U.S., to watch what's happened in Israel, Israel, Palestine, and to be a peacemaker and to be one that grew up in a peaceful household. My father, my parents had Jewish friends, dear, like best friends, like some of their best friends were Jewish, were Israeli, and they never taught me to hate, you know. My grandpa on my father's side always taught me that we came from a tree of love and we're all branches. And so this image stayed with me. And yet uh, growing up in the Midwest took a while. It took until I rediscovered music and went to go study music that a lot of my spiritual tendencies to connect to spirit through music, through chant, through breath at that point. And then when I uh, got a music degree and began teaching voice, I taught voice for 13 years, um, one of my students, top five American Idol. <laughs> and so fun, fun times, right? Teaching music. And then my yogic path increased while I was teaching music. When that happened, I discovered pranayama, discovered the breath work for yoga. And in learning that style, I got sprung on the possibility of using the breath in a greater way. So I started to teach my students. I was teaching uh, for voice how to use their breathing and they expanded on that they came back with results we didn't expect and so that really showed me wow there's a deficit out here for this and in a time where really nobody was speaking conscious breathing very few people were speaking that into the corner of medicine or someone uh in, in you know people in the healer sector of the the world would understand the use of conscious breathing but that was about it and so for many many years uh, it was a ghost town <laughs> and and um, I've always noticed my ability to look and see and wonder in in my vision uh, futurism what's happening in, in the next 10 years and then what I'd called forth would show up and so I decided to pay attention and came a vision in a non-ordinary state of consciousness in October 2012, where I, uh, in deep meditation, 3 a.m. ish, out of the body, out of the consciousness, went into seeing cities of people breathing together one at a time, seven cities from place to place to place, and having a knowingness of what I was looking at, what city I was looking at, and mm. going at going through coming out of the vision and going, wow, we could use the internet to synchronize people breathing together, and what would happen by synchronizing people's breathing and consciousness? Would we somehow tap in greater to the great software of consciousness? Um, if nothing else, a great experiment and a worthy way to point at oneness, to say, hey, breath doesn't have a color, does it? Breath doesn't have a religion, does it? Breath doesn't have any separative boundary where breath chooses who to go in and who not to go in. It doesn't discriminate. And in this way, it makes it the best place for us to unify because there's no separator 
in the practice of breath. And so we go to the creation accounts and we find some sort of description of how we were breathed into. And, you know, in the Christian account, it's very potent what's said. I, I wish to point it out to more Christians that, that, and mind you, I don't consider myself a, practice, a practitioner of religiosic uh, practices as much as a universal citizen of spirituality. And yet I do love where I came from and I do reach into Christianity for certain things that I find are true. One of those is when you hear the statement and God breathed the breath of life into man and man became a living soul. That's very direct. Breathed the breath of life into man, boom, man became a living soul. And so the heralding of the breath has changed in the path of me going from music teacher uh, breath in my life to full-on relationship with the breath as the power of a spirit in the flesh. And then to be able to profess it, to teach it, came from, you know, 20,000 hours of experience before really speaking on it. And I had a podcast, actually. It's one of the places I cultivated a lot of what I was experiencing into words. Um, I did like 300 episodes. Um, and that was way back. That was like back in 2006, seven. But, you know, on 777, we launched the Universal Breathing Room. We gave humanity a tool, um, never asked for money for it. We created a nonprofit and we just gave it. And it, it was an app before there were apps. You could go on and change things about what you were breathing and doing uh, from any device before there were apps. And then uh, technology changed and we were a little behind the curve. And now we're back. We have the World Breathing Room. We now renamed it to a little more colloquial, worldbreathingroom.com. You can also reach it at doasone.org. That's our organization, nonprofit, uh, here to raise the awareness of conscious breathing on the planet and the power of us breathing together as a billion people strong and then a world strong. What would it be like mm. if we woke up and breathed as one and then went out in the world? And when we got up, other people that got up around the world at a similar time or were doing their evening practice across the world, we're breathing in the world breathing room as well. Or we're breathing in many technologies that will rise now where people meet to breathe to connect and then mind you that is the primer and what happens after breathing together is dancing together is drumming together is whatever you want that creates that frequency of togetherness that we have as a part as a part of our humanity not as something we just do but it's a part of us it's a part of how and you can see it in all the cultures we we visit i and and celebrate um i wanted to take us from my experience and coming forth into breath work, you know, mind you, after that book started falling off shelves and teachers started showing up and I studied with multitude of different people to then arrive at a, mo a modality I created called life force mastery. And that's what I teach now. I'm about to open up a simple, what I call breathing school and breathing school by Omni Breath will be a class for people to come in and be able to dip the toe in. And then life force mastery will be con the continuation of what I've been teaching as eight week uh, classes for many years now, taking people one-on-one, -on -one, taking groups, but it's just amazing to watch what people evolve when they evolve their breathing. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to take you back to a conversation we had <laughs> at Lucidity Festival, standing in front of In Lakesh right there with Tucker. With Tucker, yeah. And you, and you and I are standing there and I, and I said to you, the greatest magic trick uh, that's being played on the entire planet is that we can't stop and slow down and talk to each other about the state of the world. That we don't actually stop every day. People are, they took even Sunday away back in the nineties. And that was, that was the day that was remaining sacred and no, that was gone. And so people are go, 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 go. And now that, you know, 24 hour online business, 24 hours, go, 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 go. And so, wow. Look what happened after we said that's the big magic trick. The magic trick came down via the pandemic or, you know, what's being put in front of us. And we were not only celebrating clean air, clean water, the choices we weren't able to make by not sitting down. And so, gosh, I'm in celebration of that still. I'm so glad you started with that, that, that we had that moment where first that now we're learning what is this going to be like? And uh, I think it's very important for those of us that feel the inclination to speak leadership in our own communities about what is important that we do not allow in terms of 
unhealthy choices. And, and you know, it's very obvious to me there are a lot of people involved from a money perspective, very obvious. And the, the people that are involved with medicines that are not being tested to the degree they need to be, it, it looks like it will harm people because it will. Because they're already saying, oh, you're going to have to be okay with these side effects. Not really. Not really. Uh, so one of the big things I think I'm ascribing to right now is to remind people the power of the immune system and that so many people that did have it healed from it. And that was the immune system's ability to to do it in a lot of cases, you know, uh, wasn't all medicine. So, yeah, brother, so much when we had the magic trick go down and now we're able to sit and stop and look around. I've written a few spoken word pieces that speak to just that, just that we stopped. And now the actors are sitting down looking at what we were doing before. It's beautiful. So in your in this whole like scope of the amazing things that you've done in the world, was there a moment in that experience where you kind of came to a, um, some threads of, of what I've seen in, in many people that I have a certain resonance with? And that's like the giving away of your material possessions. Did you have anything like that come through for you where you had a shedding of a lot of the material I, things that maybe you held on yeah. to, things that were even dear yeah. for you? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. I actually went into phases of having and then releasing and not caring at all about many of the physical attributes. And I mean, I was kind of having flashbacks of lifetimes of that when doing it. It's like, wow, I've felt this before and I think I'm revisiting it so as to regain and retouch this very humble, beautiful place of not needing to but uh, able to create, not needing to have, not needing to possess, being able, to, as, as um, one of the Sufi masters had said, be able to hold anything, but be held by nothing. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. uh, fluidity led me to a place. Now I say uh, I'm at a place where the enrichment of um, that which is the child of God, you know, in me, yeah. how do I, how do I want to dress him today? Mm-hmm. How do I want to celebrate him today? How do I want to walk in the world today? And it, it is a different choice every day. And I'm really happy to feel that I'm amongst humans that are evolving to accept the different ways we're walking in each day. Some days there's a sad day upon us. Some days there's yeah. uh, the difficulty upon us. Some days the physical is pulling at me because we're humans. Some days I'm elated. And for people to have this, you know, something I think the new age suffered from for a long time was the love and light and, you know, paste a smile on. And you see people doing this in Southern California. My gosh, it's rampant, but Mm -hmm. not to judge it, but we went through it. And now there's, you know, now exists JP Sears, you know, we got good comedy out of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, and it's, you know, it's really prevalent too in the high performance world, because when you get around these high performance people, it's like, you know, my higher self, my highest good, my soul self. And then what happens to these, you know, ideas of lower vibration where it's a punitive model and we're actually punishing these emotions within ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, that for me, right, goes back to some of these childhood traumas where it was like, mommy, I hurt my finger. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, mm-hmm. I'll give you something mm-hmm. to cry about, you know, and these these like programs that come in into people's lives that distance them from the beauty of even the density of our emotions. And being a person that understands energy, I can tell you that emotion, emotional density, right? Once we acknowledge it with vulnerability and intimacy, it's one of the greatest catalysts in our lives as individuals, as practitioners. When we go into a hospital and some of the first language that comes out is, I was feeling lonely before I got here. It's like, okay, I'm announcing the elephant that's in the room that all of these institutional people, these people that are in an institutional setting, and even, you know, I can say that at music festivals in very high vibrational places, quote unquote, where that loneliness is underneath everything. 
and there's still a yeah. feeling of disconnect. But yet when we acknowledge it and we say, I am feeling, it's like, oh, empathy. And that's integration, right? And the vehicle of music, yeah. the vehicle of the breath, these are eternal expressions of integration that are so important for communities to utilize as a tool for that sensation of oneness, that sensation of connectivity, you know, that sensation of even, you know, community in a certain sense. For me, right, oneness, you know, as a person, I'm, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, you know, because we both have tribal roots. You know, there were times when, you know, assimilation was a death sentence. And right, the ego at, at certain points wants to hold on to identity, wants to hold on to tradition. And that egoic kind of connection to that, that representation of family lineage, of um, cultural lineage, of religious lineage, right? This becomes this process of how do I balance that, right, in the conversation of oneness? Uh, because as, you know, as many of uh, the listeners here and, and you know, the, just the culture as a whole understand what, you know, cultural assimilation was for the Native American people, what the idea of oneness was. And for me, right, kind of fleshing out that conversation, uh, because it's one that I've, I've explored in my life, like, especially with the vehicle of music. You know, music is a vehicle of, you know, a state of interconnected community, interconnectedness, and ultimately you could call it a form of oneness. You know, it is yes. a form of oneness. Yet I know that you can show up with the Palestinian frame drum and I can show up with a Native American hand drum and we can totally connect in that place of intersection. We can totally connect in, a, and if we're playing a four, the four doesn't know if it's a Native American song or a Palestinian song. The three, you know, and I'm for those of you that are listening that maybe don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the time signature of the music. And when we come to that place of the agreement of the music, the feel of the music, there's like this intersection of almost like a deification, if you will, you know, of spirit. It's like that number just serves a purpose of the collective. It is there to serve us. And in a way, it's like a representation and understanding of an aspect of God, an aspect of creator. Because I can attach, right, my own language to that that three. I can attach my language to the two beat. I can attach my language to the four beat. And what I mean by that is my intention. I can attach my intention to that. And guess what? That rhythm will do that. It literally will do it. Like if, if I'm, you know, and if I have the collective experience and I have others that will agree with me, that rhythm will change the weather. You know, that rhythm will do things that are supernatural. So in a way, right, our ancestors have taught us that these rhythms, these numbers hold codes right for the optimization of our collective experience now how do we get people to the agreement ah exactly how how it becomes attractive again is the drums by the fire is the excitement of those that have gone first which means they know how to play the drum so those that have gone first have the excitement in them we've we've gone We've gone to nine together, you and I, we've gone. In fact, I remember a late night session, Global Inspiration Conference that night, like 2 a.m. And we just did odd meters. And uh, for, for those of you still just kind of tuning into what that is in numbers and in music, it's not always an easy expression. Most of our music is written in even meters and in four, four time, particularly four. And so there's a always where there's a one, two, three, four, one, two, and everywhere there's a one, two, there's a three, four, and this creates a dual, dualistic uh, flow. One that is very symmetrical, one that is exactly dual there is a one and there is a two now just to just enjoy the nerdiness of this concept you know you brought up breath you brought up rhythm you brought up the unity factor of it all and i want to say that they are not separate that the breath itself if you look at it has the inhale one and the exhale two and the heartbeat beats in three as you listen to it with this do do do, 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 do. And so these rhythms are available from within the breath itself. I can even partition my breath in sectors and in ways that we now call counts just for language sake. But look, what are we doing when we do that is we're dividing into sacred geometric forms, our inhale and or our exhale. And you've now created a rhythm 
you're not going to hear it as much with the breath sound as you would when that same concept is translated onto a drum head but they're the same seed different plant and so man to feel that within the uh, breath and the rhythm of the breath we're able to change the expression of what the heart the whole pulmonary system and the brain and how it's expressing how our thoughts are expressing and so one of my favorite things i'm looking forward to bringing out as a technology of music beats and breath is i've developed some beats particularly to be breathed with that are in odd meters why is because our thinking is often locked in to this same beta state huge, this huge beta shit. state mm -hmm. and it's so linear in out in out in out mm -hmm. we and we don't think about it we're breathing in and out in out in out in out so what blocks uh, stops the rock puts the rock in the river and allows there to be a break many of us know it to be our long exhale many of us will take the moment now we do and we now value it and so that becomes boom the seed of conscious breathing but what happens when you actually have many ways to apply the breath the rhythm uh, is there there is uh there's so much there waiting and it, it truly you now are able to override what the brain is doing by changing the rhythm of your breathing and that's a huge so so example if i take a, a beat in five it is now because it's in an odd meter it's going to break what i call brain monotony there's this monotony that happens that when we break it because it's in even it's usually flowing even 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 we throw in there odd beat a odd breathing rhythm and we break it that to me is for many people it is the breaking of the fog it is the place where they've been locked in and didn't know how to get out and so we as humans evolve into learning how to run on different modes, not one mode, but many people, because we weren't taught differently, to run on a mode until we feel something we call emotional. And then from that mode, we go into that emotion. Now, in addition to trusting the emotion, how about we awaken how our breath meets with that moment? Mm. Man, what happens when we awaken the way the breath meets with it? Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful because even the most fearful person in the world having the most difficult moment in the world if you say to them that the um the breath is uh is always meeting us exactly where we're at that's very logical concept in any language the breath meets us exactly where we're at soon as you take a breath it's meeting you there's something very non-threatening about that and so yeah I, I like to bring that up and share that with brothers and sisters uh, in these difficult times so amazing and the you know for those of you that aren't following this conversation he's he's really elaborating on neuroplasticity he's talking about the functionality of our cognitive abilities really and access points into for lack of a better term interdimensional space within our consciousness and these are like portals of uh, these are doorways into superpowers in a certain sense and when you when you begin to really understand how these number sequences are in a certain way like like i was sharing you know they they're in a certain way a, an agreement a spiritual energetic agreement that brings about conscious displacement as well as manifestation and that's something that uh, a lot of people i feel within the world of of some of this energetic you know, kind of languaging, right? They're missing. They're missing so much of the displacement of energy and they're hyper-focused on the manifestation. And when we hyper-focus on the manifestation, what happens to the displacement is that it becomes irrelevant to the conversation, but yet the cup is always full. You know, the cup is always full. So you're displacing energy when you're filling it. And sometimes that displaced energy is just as valuable as the manifestation because now you're into intricacies of energetic architecture, metaphysical architecture. You're into really the vibrational codes that create reality. And when I explore the fives, the sevens, the nines, and, you know, even trying to get to the elevens, uh, you know, in my practice, it's like there's just such a powerful awakening. And as you brought it in with the rhythmic time signature to the breath, now I'm actually playing my body, you know, and that's something that is really beautiful to think about in the exploration of the connection of these agreements of time. 
You know, I can tell you that rhythm as a whole is one of the, the meditative practices that gives us a discipline in the nuance, in the newness of it, okay? You know, as a practitioner that comes into stillness, and you come into the stillness, and you realize that the more that I practice the stillness, the more that I can get there, and the easier that I can get to stillness. It's like the neuroplasticity happens, right? And I'm to the stillness. The thing about rhythm that's so challenging is the focus point, right, is the new rhythm. The deeper the meditation is, is when you play it in a new way. So the practice is the exact opposite as the stillness. And that's where I feel like us as rhythmatic practitioners, you know, when they study our minds and they put us up against, you know, a a person who has, you know, as a meditation practice, there's a very similar kind of neuroplasticity. The the parts of the brain are firing. uh, You know, this is your brain on drums, right? (laughs) That's right. What I like about that, and it's a concept that is not spoken of enough, is that musicians are time travelers. And what I mean by Bully. that is, Bully. For, for, for your ear listener, whomever that is at any moment, to hear the music coming out in the present now, out of the musician's hands or you know, and capabilities, it has to have been processed in the time machine that is their being that goes before the now. Notice what I just said, the music's mm-hmm. landing in the now. So where did the musician come from with the what landed and processed was before the now, before the now. And so if their whole being is traveling through the now, what part of them is time traveling back to to land with the exact moment of Boom, on the one, together, together as a group. That means we are time travelers and we are time traveling together to land in the now moment of the beat. What a beautiful way to celebrate it is like we are actually, yeah. So so what you're saying that I want to just describe in a slightly different way, you know, you're, you're talking about these codes or expressing and how when you play it, it's the playing of it anew, the new beat that becomes the new edge. It becomes the thing you haven't done yet, but once you do it, you've ridden the ride. Uh, this is something that if you know, if you can ascribe to as without, so within, if you've never had within the beat of nine, that's the feeling of it, then the first time you do it, it's like you're etching new space in your own consciousness. Yes. It's like you're yes. etching new places that yeah. once you touch them, what do they do? What do they do? People think it's just you're listening to some music. No, you're actually touching upon rhythmic quality that you've never grooved to and so imagine you know a beat i've never grooved to and then groove to it and once you've grooved to it notice it's easier to groove to it the second or third or fourth or fifth time the hundredth time why is that is because the way that our neuroplasticity works the way the brain is evolving its ability to contain meaning to hold in consciousness at one time a beat you know, one, two, three, four versus one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. And so boom, we're running around a circle of thirteen instead of a circle of fours, and all of a sudden complexity, just like if you saw it on a piece of paper and someone drew you a thirteen sided figure. It exists. And now it exists not only in your brain and your ears, you played it in your hands if you played it on a beat and in your body if you danced to it. So are we evolving? Yes. That's a new way for us to look at music evolving us. And then breathe to it. <laughs> oh, man. And what gets so weird, you know, what gets not so weird, but so revolutionary it, when you take a, a, a number like 13 and there really is, you know, you have to be so accurate because there's no subdivision that will get you there. You know, and when you're playing with the six and the nine, right, you can, there's some subdivision that you can do there and you can still, you know, come home. Uh, But with those 13s and, and, you know, some of these ragas that they've played in, you know, in Indian culture. And I mean, even in, you know, in the Middle East and and in Turkey, I mean, in some of these places and also Greece, I mean, these were keys that, that cultures created that really are so profound uh, for us in our contemporary understanding to step into. It's just like lineage. And then you realize that that eternal expression of that rhythm has been played since the dawn of cultural identity. Like there has been, like it is out there in the universal conscious, like the Akashic record or whatever you want to call it. Like that drummer that played that five 
experience of that music is existing. It's not it existed. It it is existing. Yes. Oh, I, I love how you brought that out because that that is part of the description of how Indian classical music came to exist. Is that when they would go tune for the morning raga, what would they tune their instruments to? They tune to the sound of the birds in the morning, sound of the nature in the morning, rhythm they were hearing in the nature of the morning that became the morning raga. So what they were doing was emulating and expressing a mirror image of what they were experiencing from nature into the music. So basically, the the the, the design, the architecture that was put into the into nature by the divine is being extracted by the musicians noticing it and spiritual enough to notice it you know musicians in india if you look their path was not just music their path was also to deeply study themselves and that way the music would evolve in a divine way and they would come out playing music that really mattered to the human and to the heart and that way you could extract a raga it was going to take a certain human to go play the morning raga to tune to the sound of a bird ah uh, it's just it's beautiful. It gets me excited about life to know oh, that humans so that came before us did that. Yeah. yeah, it's so amazing. And just to know that they've survived colonialism, you know, and all of the challenges of the many empires that have come into their their way of life and they've held resilient, you know, it's just such a powerful thing to really think about the Indian experience, uh, you know, in mm -hmm. In Asia, not that any of those, you know, ideas or concepts could ever be threatened by colonial superpowers, but still in the essence of, you know, the Native American experience, there's always that idea of so much of our music has been, you know, stripped down and taken and uh, the complexities of it. There are stories, though, of uh, the flute songs and, you know, talking about how musicians throughout history and throughout cultural threads use nature as a way of inspiration. It's said that when two Apache flute players would meet, they would play the mountain ranges of where they came from as the notes. Mm. And and they would know where each other was from, that oh, they would cool. be able to, yeah. And that's a, that's a story that was handed down to me from uh, an elder that told me that story. And he said, you know, go out and play the, the mountains. And I've done that, you know, I've sat and played the mountains and connected in that way. And, you know, there's a way of, of us as, as stewards of music you know, it is it is really a relationship that we have to it. It's ultimately our greatest teacher and, um, you know, or at least one of our greatest teachers. Let me put it that way. Uh, yeah. For me, you know, my relationship to the drum has been one that um, has just brought so much beauty into my life. And, uh, you know, I grew up in, in a lot of trauma as a kid with uh, my parents and, you know, their substance abuse issues. And I had that defensiveness, you know, constantly in my life. Like if a grown man would try to teach me something, I would immediately be afraid of them. Uh, because of that trauma and you know of course through my practices with the drum and the breath I can now be a taught person but for years of my life the only kind of vehicle of really teaching me about emotions was the drum that was the one that I felt safe and it's the one that's brought me to the person that I am today and that's such a beautiful when we talk about you know even density of emotional energy I can play for you the way I feel when I'm lonely you know I can play for you the way I feel when I'm happy I can play for you the way and it doesn't really have to make sense but it can be an expression you know and in its expression it makes perfect sense uh, and that's some of the work that we do as well you know can you play for me the way you felt when you were bullied at school you know for a child to have that and we've been working you know recently we got a new contract which is really exciting with a Native American um, it's in a, a transitional housing community and they have children and parents some of them substance abuse some of them mental health some of them you know out of prison and the families are, are getting reunited so to see these families come together and you know to have the drum and to see a little boy play his expression of being bullied with his mom that has been wanting to get something from him you know how was your wow. day at school and just this you know i don't know how my day was at school i mean i can be that little boy you know i can take myself back to that right when i didn't have the words to articulate but now those, yeah. fam those families have that connection man and it's just it, it's such a beautiful thing that the simplicity i mean we know that the drum can you can all of us as, as drummers uh, or percussionists have been around the drummer and we're just like I'm going to give up playing. I'm not going to play anymore. <laughs> right? Because this person has taken rhythm to like this extension of themselves that is so complex that it just awes you and, and humbles you at the same time. At the same moment, 
of that experience. There's also the experience that I've had with an autistic child playing their expression of being bullied and feeling the same level of energetic connection wow. to that expression, right? It, it's the same sort of feeling that I'm like, wow, I'm in awe of that. As much as I am in awe of, you know, XYZ master player, you know, Mama Deketa, Famadou, or, yeah. you know, Ravi Shankar, whoever, whoever you want to put into that, you know, experience. Um, yeah. And there's just so, there's so many that, you know, for me as a, as a student of the drum, I could list, you know, I don't know how many masters and be in awe of all of them. Um, but that's what's so beautiful about this instrument is that it's one of these instruments that you can take without any knowledge of the relationship and you can still find beauty in it. Uh, and then you can go to the 13, you know, or to the 26 or to the, and it's just, and it's just, I, I can nerd out about it all day long. <laughs> I know. Right. It's true. That's true. We love it. We love yeah. it. It's become a part of our love, man. And um, you know, one thing that I'd like to explore with you is this idea of collective experience okay and what the collective consciousness creates when we begin to access whether it's the tool of the breath or the tool of rhythm what are some experiences that you've had inside of a container where you're taking a group to a place together and you're using some of these tools is there anything that surfaces as i'm sharing that with you that uh you know that comes to surface some some uh you know maybe a little bit maybe mystical things or you know emotional things just you know what comes to surface yes. when talk about the collective experience i'll tell you we had a very beautiful workshop one time in san francisco amongst 112 buddha statues that were saved they were going to be destroyed and somebody got them out from wherever that was happening and they were stored at this place 112 buddhist statues and a one huge wood kuan yin statue that was like 12 foot wood one piece wow so we go into this place and we do a beautiful uh two days and at the end of the two days we had quite a bit of unifying breath work that was done after teaching people many ways to utilize the breath the culmination of our practice was to teach people to unify and to use that unity in their own lives in whatever way they wish and their community because they knew how and so at the end of the day we finish a particular round of breath work and i said okay we're doing fifth, fifth of five rounds of this. And now in the fifth round, I'd like to ask each of you to go choose one of the Buddha statues you feel most uh, drawn to and do the last round in front of that statue and go connect. And so I went over, just like everyone else, picked the statue, went in front of. And right as we're finishing the round, I got this message and mind you, my back is to, I'm, it's a perimeter situation. So I'm facing the statue and people are back here and I get this message, pop, someone will fall. And I literally just took the message, turned around. And as I turned around, here comes this man falling back on his back, falling back. And I jam forward, my hand catches his head. Before it hits the ground and he comes out he opens his eyes and he goes i was at the golden temple <laughs> i said you just <laughs> fell he said no he said i finished the round and i left and my body fell back and then i got back in my body and i saw you and i said well man the same one that took you on out send me a message to come catch you <laughs> And this Amazing. was an example of the connection in the room was infallible. There was it's hundred percent trust because that kind of connection. Uh, there was nothing that uh, the beauty in that moment. He actually was like, "Wow, I'm so cradled that I could even leave my body in this practice, and something that which we know as spirit." is there to catch me, is there to work through the one that is in the room when you look at it that way, when you see it that way. You know, I 
was honored to get to go and present when I was on world tour in 2012. I also noticed that Michael Beckwith was on tour, a dear friend of mine uh, and teacher of mine. And so I asked him, uh, where are you going to be? And so he said, if you could show up in Copenhagen and Dublin, I'll put you on stage and check out, have people share your, in your breathing together practice. So we did, and we showed up. It was very, uh, in 2012, people were hungry in Europe for wanting to know what is it that we can feel happening. We can feel it too, guys. Something's happening in consciousness, what is it? And here Beckwith blew the lid off and then invited me to come up after that. <laughs> I come up and we breathe together and I'm telling you, man, the interest that, you know, when, a, when willpower is ignited, it's one of the greatest gifts we're given. So what we make choice with. Willpower ignites in a room of people breathing together that have not before then meant it and did it. Oh, it can be so inspiring that after the experience, people walk around knowing that they've had something new, knowing they've had a new experience. And it's like, whoa, flash forward in that same, um, that same tour. And I'm on Cairo in the streets and breathing with Muslim men that get it. They get why breathing together, it, there was no separation for them. They got, they understood what I was saying and it made my heart feel that this was a universal aspect of our being. If I could describe it to, to a person in Cairo and then go off elsewhere, you know, being a part of Europe, Copenhagen all of a sudden and feel the same thing. And it was magical. And I mean, we were led to the great pyramids on summer solstice in 2012. I was in the King's chamber with my beloved at the time, getting zung with an energy that was no less than magical to go on tour and speak about breathing together. You know, um, the, one of the, the, the stewards there at the uh, Cheops pyramid said, stop while we were in the chamber and said, now breathe with me. And he didn't know our work was breathing together. He said, now stop and breathe with me. And it took me off my expectation it, right in the moment and reminded me of the magical again. Oh, wow, man, this is, this is a different moment. And so, yeah, there's been a magic to breathing together, both in, in the beauty of it, showing up just out of nowhere, and also in what we teach people that causes magic, causes people to look into each other's eyes and tear up, causes people to party like never before after breathing together. And then we make them notice, hey, by the way, remember how we started this? We breathed together, then we partied and uh, raised the elevation of uh, without substances, you know, and, and in some case, yeah, if that ended up happening at parties, whatever. But my point is breathing together as a, a pretense to how we elevate as a, a village, a tribe, a community. It must be a part of our new evolution, our greater yet to come. Um, and, and also pointing backwards, like you said, it's been there just like beats of five and seven and nine are in the fabric of creation breathing through the human it's been here people have done pranayama thousands of years ago what do we do with it now is the question and so humanity's searching mm -hmm. a lot of people are interested in what breathwork's doing thanks for shining so many lights man uh on these different things no oh, it's so important that we get this information out there and, and get people connected to this way of life, you know, the uh, the idea that we could live in the work hard, retire reality without access to these simplistic forms of wellness that can better us and really mm -hmm. give us a bridge into the optimization of the plan and the purpose for us. It's yeah. it's our mission, brother. You know, it's really what we're yes. called to do in this this time that we're in. And I, I could be on here for another hour with you, I'm sure, and easily <laughs> explore more of, of this conversation. You know, there's so much that comes through for me. I would be kind of remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, what you do with the voice inside of your head. You know, how do you how do you navigate that? Um, you know, I would love to uh, to just give them since we're talking about this this declaration. Turn around, put your hand out, catch this head, right? How do you navigate that in this contemporary world? Because there are people that have been sent to psychiatric lockdowns. There are people that have been, you know, put in handcuffs and beat by the police for that very experience inside of you. And there are times when, you know, I've looked over at my beloved and I remember this happened during uh, when 
You know, our our beloved exiting president was, uh, and not to bring the devil to the dinner table, but also to realize, you know, this story needs the context. And this was when the DACA was happening and these young kids were getting threatened with their, you know, their citizenship being taken and they've gone to school and they're American citizens. And, uh, you know, this was at the very beginning of this. A lot of people don't remember that this was one of the first things that was happening. And we were at, you know, um, I think it was Sweet Tomatoes or, soup and salad in Valencia. And I looked over at Monica and I said, I just need to say something. Now this is a packed house of people. There's about, you know, 150 people in this buffet. And I looked at her and I said, you might want to go outside. Cause I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I just could not sit there and eat with this voice in the back of my head saying, get up and use your voice. Yeah. And I got up and I spoke and there were, you know, the place got completely silent. And for about 10 minutes, I was just, the universe speaking through me and it was about politics you know in a little bit and it was and i did get booed a little bit uh but as soon as the manager came over and told me you know that's enough i just you know went outside and i was good with it um but how do you as a person who's tuned in in that way and i i know that i i have this relationship to that as well you know there's times when i'm like hey check it out i'm I'm not going to do that. You know, like, honestly, like I'm, you know, you've told me that I need to go talk to this person and it's a, in a threatening place. If you want that person to come to me, you need to make it happen. And literally so, spirit, spirit has shown up in that way where I've negotiated with that voice inside of my head, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that there's a little bit of that conversation. How do we navigate, you know, for lack of a better term, the Holy Spirit? How do we navigate the voice of God? How do we navigate the voice? And there's, you know, there's some complexities here, my brother. You Thank know? you. That's a great place to hand it off as complexities. I so agree because there are multiple things that have to be mentioned. You know, uh, for a person to just discover their spiritual, the spiritual aspects in them, and then just begin listening to whatever voice is coming through. Um, this is what when you go and study lineages in, for instance, India, which is a very spiritually complex country and one that has many practices to go and learn from. You find that there are forces out there that can act upon us. There are things that can definitely trigger thoughts that may not be heading in your highest and greatest choice. And at the same time, what I'll say that was the first thing I was moved to say, which is that the voice changes and you get to trust that the voice itself will evolve as you evolve your relationship to what is a centered you know move something moving you will move you from a place that you know to be expansive love or coming from a place of qualities that move you into a great place now sometimes you might feel the urge to speak from a place that doesn't feel like it's expansive, but it's important. Important is important. And if you feel that, then you must be the one in the room that it's attempting to collapse through. Because we know through quantum physics approach of many, many possibilities are available at any given time in any room. Which means if you were the one being moved, must have been trying to come through you. And it doesn't matter. This was something that you begin to learn by seeing how the voice uh, actually comes out and creates. If it's creating things for your good, and if it's propelling you to create with that voice in good, or if it's causing trouble, if you will, for you, meaning you're being urged to move from the ego and don't know it. You're maybe moving from the small place and you think you're coming from a place of expansion, but you're not, and then the result will show you. So to me, it's be brave, Listen, use the voice so that you can then see if it's the voice you're wanting to move with. And when you center oh, I love that. I love that. and you evolve and you center and you evolve and you center and you evolve and you really watch how your life is becoming greater, the voice matches that too. You don't get this low frequency voice in a high frequency practice. It doesn't match. It's what's in you will shine. And so in a lot of cases, people are pretending that there's a great evolution that has happened but not much has occurred yet and they're scared to use that voice and you'll hear the voice of fear you'll hear the voice of i'm not there yet because it hasn't all bumped up it hasn't all found its way as we all do over a lifetime we continue to up level we continue to shine what we've been given and so the voice will evolve with that i know that's a lot on one abstract concept of the voice 
but everybody can kind of vibe with that come from that there's an ongoing soundtrack uh in us and and it evolves and sometimes uh, i like that you began with complexity because it's true one uh even in some lineages calls forth uh protection from any outer forces so that you really know you're listening to just you and your connection to spirit and if there's nothing between that and you begin to really strengthen that through whatever practices no no judgment but this connection to spirit nothing between me and spirit i i find that is the greatest way to get that voice of spirit direct to become louder and louder and when you listen you know when you start to say to that 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 whole being that whole light that whole greatness i'm going to listen so since i'm going to listen put the message there and i'm going to act on it and you you'll watch the divine play of consciousness happen and it will actually impress you and that's how i began to listen quicker and and go oh okay good got it yes yes okay got it oh somebody's going to fall got it Oof. and you're acting upon in, in that speed of consciousness so thank you man that's a nice unpack yeah it's a huge conversation because there are those that are out there that are navigating it and they're maybe tapping into the density of their suffering they're seeing the reflection of the density of suffering on the outward projection of their world um for instance sometimes when we tap into you know loneliness or even suicidal thoughts that suicidal ideation can become a part of our reality we can hear it in the television we can hear it on the radio mm-hmm. um and the same tendencies of the infinite source love that will begin to reflect in that way right become this confirmation bias that leads us into this destructive kind of mechanism so as a practitioner that has followed the quote unquote voice I had also learned to negotiate with the quote unquote voice and to have this relational dialogue right where I know that if I can tap into that and I can tap into the expression of it and I can live out its optimal in my relationship and be the person that's speaking up at the you know the buffet or you know the person who is uh living out a prayer and seeing the the prayer manifest in multiple uh sorts of intersections in my life and also right say okay I have an agenda that I want to do and in this agenda that I want to do it's okay for me to have you know this relationship with the voice and say hey you know how am I going to get my needs met here I want to artistically express something And this this came forward for me as well at at the Global Inspiration Conference. I had done a Sacred 7 teaching the day before and it went great. It was awesome. Had about 40 people show up. The next day I sit down to do my uh, uh Sacred 7 teaching and the voice comes in and says there are people here that have been wanting to have children that you need to pray for. And I'm like, "Great. What do I do with that?" you know? What what do I do with that? <laughs> what do I do with that right now? <laughs> yeah. You know? And it just kept on. And then finally, you know, I I listened and I said, if there, you know, I'm feeling this inside of me and I need to be honest with what's going on inside of my heart. I know that you've come here for this presentation and I feel spirits moving right now. Are there women that are in a place that that are are hoping for a child? You know, yeah. six women stood up. Amazing. amazing and so you see that was you being a conduit a sacred yes to possibility in the room you might have said no and then it might have that prayer might have come through in a different way for that possibility to show up but it was strong enough in the room to in whatever way act through and speak through you and mind you i will say this so that it's said in a lot of people as we evolve we learn you know that ver- that voice first might only come from a egoic place it might only come and it might you know I might not understand it might be a lot of fearful jargon that doesn't mean you just start running after what that voice says you got to seek understanding yeah yeah you got to seek understanding mm-hmm. you got to seek compassion for self compassion for others uh and when we do that and we check back in see what the voice is really seeking to do then man yeah we can see the difference between the ego Uh, attempt to to a voice inside of us and the really uh, expansive part of us or spirit speaking through direct for example so yeah <clears throat> how do you feel man about bringing it to a close oh yeah i there's you know there's so much that i want to explore i want to explore 
how you resonate with the frequency from another individual once you've heard the voice and you understand that there's that illusion that's in that person i want to save that for another conversation because that okay. when you brought forward discernment i definitely went into that route that when you are a person that has refined your path to the voice to the universal consciousness to the collective the experience right yeah. you can then have a witness of when another person is on their path and you can see how they're refining the message in their in their space and sometimes there's a resentment that comes up because you're looking back at yourself right and you're remembering how you were destructive in that place and how you maybe you know cut off relationships in a certain way and uh that's a that's maybe another conversation uh to have okay. my brother uh Gosh, bro, when I when I come in contact with a man like you, I just I, I want to learn so much, and I'm I'm humbled to be in your presence and uh, humble. Not even, brother. You're so sweet in that way, but man, I'm so ready to just meet you exactly where you're at. I'm humbled. I'm moved. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of The Sacred 7 Podcast. We want to connect with you further. Please go to thesacred7allspelledout.com to receive a free copy of the book, a link to get your audio book copy, and also ways to connect with us and partner with our outreach to those that are living incarcerated and help us make a difference in the community. The Sacred 7 is a community of people, so we really appreciate your feedback on future show ideas, guests, or any ways that we can better improve our content. Please reach out to us at thesacred7.com.